Mayfair 515, Albuquerque Center, Roger, climb and maintain 13,000. Riding down a trail to Albuquerque, saddlebags all filled with beans and Welcome to the City on the Edge podcast with your hosts, Nora Hickey, Mike Smith, and Ty Bannerman. Much like Los Angeles to me. Uh, Nicolette's the old city on the edge. 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 Did you say edge? Yes. City on the edge. That's what it's called now. (laughs) Welcome back to City on the Edge, a podcast about Albuquerque. City on the edge, we call it. (laughs) It is um, a new year. Yes. And it's me and Mike this time. Nora is moving to Ohio. Yep. I keep holding out that, well, maybe she'll just move back here. Right. But uh, she's not going to do it uh, anytime soon. Weirdly, this might not affect the podcast at all. She'll just <laughs> still be on the podcast talking about Albuquerque. Remember when we had like a tearful goodbye to her? Yeah. And then the pandemic happened. And it was like, well, we're doing all this crap on Zoom anyway. Why don't we just invite Nora back? Yeah, we literally have an episode called like Goodbye Nora. <laughs> oh, man. How funny. Yeah. Um, well, we're but, nothing if not consistent yeah. and like well-planned. You know, Every place exists in context, too, so maybe that's kind of interesting that, like, she's regarding Albuquerque from different distances and stuff. Yeah, well, I still mm-hmm. wanted to do, like, um, updates from where she's living, like, up, yeah. update about Ohio. Here's yeah. a weird thing I learned about Ohio today. Yeah. Like, that'd be cool. Maybe we're discovering that place is an illusion. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, whatever. Albuquerque is a mentality. You take it with you. Yes, indeed. How was your new year? Did you um, do like a New Year thing? It's okay. I, I feel like it's like ten years ago. I can't. I'm trying yeah. to remember what we even did that night. We two, stayed up a little, I think. Two weeks ago, you stayed up. Maybe a little bit. Some of the kids, and then we all. No. Oh, we went to Mara's parents' house, and we were like, mm. we did a little backyard gathering with just her closest family members. Um, you know, still social distancing and stuff. Man, good, nothing good. is like it was. Yeah, yeah. We uh, rang in the New Year with Omicron. Oh of yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, um, we had a big health scare. We thought we had COVID, tested uh, negative. That's just like that's just like a monthly observance now. <laughs> it's like a ritual. I I got chills and fever from something. I don't know what it was, but I don't. Yeah, if it was psychosomatic. I've got I got to harness that stuff. Well, I was on a train going from Albuquerque oh. to L.A. The Southwest Whoa. Chief, which was pretty cool. You know, it's like being on the standing at the uh, the Albuquerque train station waiting for. Uh, Waiting for the Southwest Chief and thinking about how these tracks are more or less, you know, 140 years old. Amazing. And yeah. Yeah. So like, that was great. When just thinking about a train going that way out of Albuquerque, I think of the Alvarado, like right away. Like that's. Yeah. That's, that's where, that's what that was. That's like the birthplace of yeah. Newtown Albuquerque right there. Crazy. So did that. And uh, we were actually on the train for, for New Year's Eve. That's cool. Uh, we did not stay up, but. Hmm. Um, the, nice. One of the conductors was going up and down, blowing a like a noisemaker yeah. um, at like eight o'clock though, so it wasn't disturbing <laughs> anyone. Um, you know who didn't have a good time on New Year's Eve hmm. was the uh, the twenty one people who were trapped in the Albuquerque oh. tram for uh, like eighteen hours. I, uh, that that was the story I followed. That's very interesting. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Uh, what do you what do you know? Well, let's see. We had they were all employees of uh, the restaurant at the top, mm-hmm. cooks and waiters oh, really? and so forth. I missed that detail. Interesting. They were heading down at nine o'clock, and um, I guess there was ice or something on the uh, oh, on the nice. tram lines, and so they were forced to stop. Uh, they were a couple hundred feet above the uh, the drop there. Hmm. And they weren't able to get them out because of the wind conditions. Wow. It was very cold. And so they stayed there all night long. They celebrated New Year's in the in the tram car. And in the morning, it, the conditions finally were good enough that they could get like a a line up there and then lower people down. Um, they actually repelled off one of the towers. Yeah, no thanks. I'm just going to wait here in the box. <laughs> this feels a little more secure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, no one was no one was hurt. Whoa. I mean... That sounds terrifying. Oh, totally but, terrifying. Uh, <laughs> and something you think about every time you're on the tram, yeah, um, 
either getting stuck there or right. when you go over like the deepest part where it's like a yeah. thousand feet above above the ground and you're like, what if it just drops? Right. What what would happen right. then? I mean, maybe it'd be cool on some level. I bet it was like a movie. I wish like, you know, someone there was paying attention and taking notes and stuff. Yeah. Well, but... um, a woman named, let's see, what, what was her name? Uh, Santos and her first name is sorry I'm Amber Santos hmm. did a pretty good job of, of describing it and she actually did some uh, Instagram hmm. updates from inside the tram amazing uh, you know saying yay it's New Year's Eve and they were kind of having fun for a while but then as the hours dragged on and the temperatures got lower uh, they they stopped wow. having so much fun um, that's amazing and then of course you know like once they got down they had to hike through the snow right. and like they were wearing Crocs and stuff. Like oh they were gosh. not prepared in any way. Wow. So, so there's a great article in the New York times about it, which, uh, which you should seek I, out. I will seek that out. Yeah. Though they have that lousy paywall. Come on, you guys. Oh yeah, that's true. And they said they'd could... never do it for public health stuff, but they put it on all the COVID articles too. How are they so doing it now? That, they, that was well, like a just two month resolution. So of course you can monetize that. Yeah. Dang. Hey, you want to know what you need to do to save your life? Ha ha, pay us. Hmm. That's crazy. What a story. That and uh, I remember you saying your this has happened before, right? And your mom yes. was involved in a previous. Incident? Yeah. So this is not the first time folks have been stuck on the tram, and I thought we'd kind of talk about that incident, but not quite yet. I thought we'd go and we'd like look at our tram, where it comes from, how it came to be, nice people who are involved, and then and then also yeah, this uh, this accident that happened back in nineteen. 19- 73 so what's your uh relationship with the uh with the tram oh well you know let's see i have this home video of my parents and their kids before i was born riding the tram when they were on a vacation to albuquerque they were mm-hmm. they lived in arizona and they came to albuquerque and like treated it like a tourist destination this one time and it's that's a so fantastic weird. bit of footage but um so that's kind of interesting but um and I've ridden it on and off, uh, you know, growing up here, you know, here and there. But I had this one time when I rode it all the time because I had a volunteer job at the uh, Friends of the Sandia Mountains gift shop at the top. And oh. so I would ride it like twice a week going up and back. And I like memorized the whole yeah. speech that they gave. And uh, <clears throat> it's an incredible ride. And that's why I think like it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to be stuck in that. It, it, I mean, the bathroom situation, that sounds terrible. And a bunch of complaining people around you, that sounds yeah. terrible. But it's scenic all the way up. It would be True. dramatic and amazing. And, I mean, reading those stories as they were happening in real time, I thought, you know, it wasn't as enjoyable because it's like that could have ended very badly. I mean, yeah, that, that, that you know, if they're already stuck out there, there's high winds and all this stuff, like that could have been a – that could have been a very different yeah, story. Yeah, I think that's the thing is it's, you know, I mean, if you're just sitting in a room for 18 hours, yeah. I mean, that's not great, but yeah. you're not in fear. Yeah. And I think if you're sitting in the tram, eventually you're going to be in fear, you yeah. know, if the wind's blowing totally. around and stuff, like you're just in an unnatural situation. When I was riding up there all the time, I got really disappointed with some of the guides because like they would make the same lame jokes yeah. every single time. Here's tower number three. It is blue. Ha ha ha. It's funny the first time you hear it, but like the 50th time you hear it. And then you realize none of these people do any research or care about this at all. And if they, if they did care, they could be telling interesting stuff the whole way. Like there's so like you go over TWA Canyon and the crash site. Some of them will point that out. Yeah, exactly. That's the bare minimum, I guess. Yeah. And then sometimes you'll get some elevation and vegetation stuff that they've read. But But, um, like, that's that. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, it's pretty standard. And, uh, there's so much interesting stuff to say about it. Like in Track of the Moon Beast, when that mannequin yes. jumps to its death out of the yes. tram during that dream sequence. Amazing. Uh, I think I'm going to do a YouTube video of this uh, this story, and, and that's definitely going to feature in it multiple <laughs> over times. Over and over. Yeah, just, it's so great. <laughs> wow, that's such a lifelike body. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do love that movie, kind of unironically. But but uh, it's it's just such a weird little artifact. Yeah, thing. totally, totally. But, um, and great, but, I love yeah. the footage of the tram, and they it, dumped the body, the, yeah. the mannequin from the tram. Right. Like, yeah. They must have gotten yeah. permission and stuff. I right. know that uh, Tramway Boulevard used to be called Panorama Boulevard. Remember yeah. we talked about that in our yeah. uh, our episodes. So it's like influenced that that yeah, area and definitely and. Um, Oh, and and in yeah. in some yeah. some ways that may not be immediately obvious, hmm. which uh, which I'll get to as well. Okay, but I thought we'd start with uh, I mean the the tram is part of the ski 
right. area, the Sandia Peak yeah, ski area. So, but the west side of it, yeah. right? Yeah, but yeah. it's it's part of the same company, and yeah. it's part of the same like the right. its original intention was to get skiers up up and down. Hmm. So I thought we'd uh, kind of start with the history of skiing in Sandia. Okay. Um, Charlotte Ellis. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, first, yeah, yeah. Uh, p- probably the first skier. So you mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about who that is? Well, the Ellis Homestead was on the north side of the mountain, and it, you can still see the Ellis Trailhead if you ever drive the Los Huertas Canyon Road mm-hmm. uh, at the north end of the mountain, north end of the mountain up by uh, Placidas. Um, and that was this wonderful homestead that uh, was built by um, a Civil War veteran. Pretty sure he was with the Union. Confederates. Uh, yeah. I, was he really? He was a Confederate. He was. Yeah, he was. Oh, interesting. Okay. Bastard. Well, all right. <laughs> okay, not standing up for that guy anymore. But but uh, but but he built built this place. They they had it as a tent for a little bit. I think mm. it was very late 1800s, very yeah. early 1900s, like right turn of the century. And um, but his family was really interesting. There was Paul Ellis, who was one of the. There's a great photograph of him at like five and like a nightgown standing in Los Huertas Creek. There's uh, Charlotte Ellis, his sister, who was a biologist and discovered all these plant specimens. But she had her brother, Augie, make her um, wooden skis that she had read about uh, people in Switzerland using. And she was probably the first skier in, like, 1896. There's a photo of her in the the Sandias, like, late 1800s. And uh, she was very interesting. I mean, there's a lot of plant species that are still named after her. And she wrote a really wonderful diary that you can find in the Center for Southwest Research in a copy called... uh, 20 miles to, for a spool of red thread or so, something oh. like that. Like, cause it was like, it was so remote to get basic necessities yeah. that they wanted at the time. So that's pretty far up that yeah. Canyon, like even far yeah. from Placidus, right. which I'm sure in 1896 was not like right. Grand and, Central Station. And then that property became, um, the property of Hugh Cooper who founded Presbyterian hospital and named Balsam Glade up there mm-hmm. and then went to his family. And in the nineties it was burned down by, uh, an activist, an environmental activist, Oh yeah, which, I'm totally pro environmental activism, but that yeah, was a pretty pointless misplaced. Act. And they burned down uh, a lot of um, historic books and stuff too. They had oh, a huge no. library in there of collected texts and stuff, and it's like it didn't change anything really. It's just like yeah, but it was like one of the last private pieces of uh, oh. property in the mountains, and this wonderful building was lost in all of its historic resources Dang. connected with it. But um, well, I'm an anti-environmentalist now. Higgin, not Higgin. Ty. I'm always like calling people different names. Sorry. Yep, I think that's a parental thing. Right? Sorry. Yeah, my son Hagen is the contrarian in my life. That's always arguing oh, with me. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> but um, uh, um, but so the Ellis's were really interesting. But yeah, there's this famous photo of. Mm-hmm. Charlotte Ellis that's reprinted in that book you have there, Sandia Peak. Sandia Peak by and, um, Salmon, I think. And I, I have it in, in my book, Towns of the Sandia Mountains, and it's just a great image of her looking like, she's like dressed in like this full outfit, like she's going to speak at a conference yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, full dress. All that. Yeah, I was struck by, you know, what you said. <laughs> if you wanted to ski in 1890s in <laughs> Albuquerque or near Albuquerque, <laughs> you had to either make your own skis <laughs> or, or find somebody else to do <laughs> it, like... They just weren't available. Yeah. Sadly, Augie later killed the last grizzly bear in the Sandias, her brother that made the skis. Oh. Isn't that messed up? Yeah. That is, yeah. I was trying to find yeah. some information about that. Huh. Oh, because they meant that's that's from that book that I think. Do that, they mention that in this? Maybe. I, I can't remember where I read that. I, I was trying yeah. to find information on the death of the last grizzly bear, and huh. I just found that there was a mention of that, but I couldn't find any articles or anything about it, so yeah. I'm not sure. I could turn it up. It's, I mean... I was friends with Bob Cooper, the grandson of Hugh Cooper, before he died, and yeah. he like shared a lot of like files and stuff with me that I copied. It's so wild to so, think. Yeah. So she's yeah. making her own skis, and grizzly bears are still roaming Sandia. Like what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you Google her name, you can find a lot of stuff. She was a real presence at UNM too in the writing department. Charlotte Ellis. So, yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah. So early early skiers. Um. Just to, basically just people who were like, hey, let's go out and. You know, we've heard about this crazy thing right. that the uh, Norwegians right. do. Let's just uh, make some skis and try to slide through this right. glade. Right. You know, um, but the guy who really brought skiing to Albuquerque in a big way hmm. was Robert Nordhaus. Hmm. And I thought he's really interesting. He's tied in with the early history of Albuquerque and 
and by I mean Newtown Albuquerque, mm. the early history of Newtown Albuquerque, mm-hmm. and the um, kind of the Americanization of New Mexico as a whole, because he is related to the Ilfeld family. Huh. The Ilfelds. Uh, let's see. I think um, I can't remember the the name of the uh, the original Ilfeld who came from Germany to huh. New Mexico. Uh, he was Jewish. Huh. He established like a warehouse of um, you know goods hmm. in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Hmm. And then it became a place that you would order, like a Sears catalog for New Mexico, basically. So if you look at early 1880s newspapers in Albuquerque, you'll always see Ilfeld and Sons mentioned um, as an advertisement. Interesting. So he came in 1870, uh, like in the 1860s. Then he went back to Germany and... Uh, proposed to Adele Nordhaus, uh, Hmm. another uh, Jewish person, Hmm. um, and brought her back with him in 1874. And then her brother came and became part of the Ilfeld family Hmm. in 1886. He became the general manager of Ilfeld's. um, His name was Max Ilfeld. He married and they were looking for a place to kind of start a, you know, kind of more serious branch of the Ilfeld warehouse and uh, they came to Albuquerque in 1911 and his son was Bob Nordhaus uh, who uh, was like this adventurous athletic young boy right. they he went to Yale came back to Albuquerque after getting married in 1935 and he was really into this idea of skiing hmm. because the 1932 winter games had been held in Lake Placid, New York, and he'd been sort of following it. And skiing was a big part of them. So he had, like, skiing fever when mm. he came back. And he did the thing where, like, you, you know, managed to get some skis. Not sure if he made his own or right. ordered them or what. Right. And it was just like you would trudge up into the Sandia Mountains and find a clear place and then, you know, slide downhill for Amazing. a little while. Huh. Uh, the first place he was skiing was Doc Long Picnic Grounds. Interesting. Pretty accessible, and there's like yeah. some meadows and things there. Yeah. Named after Dr. Uh, William Long, a botanist who studied plants in that area. Yeah, we're getting a lot of botany with yeah. this uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah. We need to Weird. do some botany of Sandia Mountains, I guess. Maybe, since we yeah. Have two there's some good stuff that. up there. Plants and whatnot. So he founded, uh, this guy Bob Nordhaus founded the Albuquerque Ski Club in hmm. 1936. Hmm. And he uh, it was kind of an immediate like success among a small group of people who were thought it was the best thing ever to do. Hmm. And after uh, skiing around for a while, um, skiing was kind of getting more popular in the U.S. as a whole because mm-hmm. of the, the Lake Placid Olympics. Yeah. Um, so there was a, a U.S. Forest Service rain, uh, engineer named Graham McGowan, who was surveying places in the West to see if they would be good places for uh, winter recreation. Interesting. And he came to the Sandias and met up with the uh, the Albuquerque Ski Club. And he wrote a little thing. Just going to see if I can dig this out. He said... <clears throat> uh, this is what he wrote later on. Uh, about about his experience skiing in the early, early days. In the early days before skiing became a popular sport, everything was comparatively simple. High mountains were all difficult to access, shelter was inadequate, ski trails were unknown. We enjoyed our sport in the face of great inconvenience and frequent actual hardship. No one minded and no one wished for greater convenience. Those who couldn't take it stayed away and were not missed. As the sport developed, greater emphasis was placed on skill and speed, and no longer were we content to limit our activity to one glorious outing of three or four days a winter, but insisted on the opportunity to practice our sport every weekend or even every day. (laughs) And that was the beginning of skiing as recreational industry in the West. So McGowan saw potential here at uh, Sandia. And he directed the Forest Service to build a small log warming hut hmm. near Tree Spring, hmm. which you can follow the Tree Spring Trail right. to this day. And they cleared the uh, slope near Tree Spring just for skiers to go up and down. Hmm. And that was the beginning of La Madera Ski Area. Interesting. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I love that it was called Lamadera Ski Area at first because I love Lamadera Road so course, much. My yeah. son's named after a town on that road. Um, yeah, that that's really the Woods Road, and named after the little community that was near there. Was I there Lamadera near there? Lamadera, if man, you got to get Lou Sage Batchin's book. Uh, Las Placidas Historical Facts and Legends because it talks about early Lamadera a lot. They have tons of great like witch lore and stuff. Witch and, lore, yeah, and wow. green fireballs and all that great oh, stuff. Oh man, those fireballs yeah. are the thing that creep me out. Like right. reading about the fireballs in New Mexico. Well, some of them sound like those are obviously animalized, reflected in light. They're like mm. they always travel in pairs, and you only see them when you hold a lantern up at the edge of the woods. Like okay, well, <laughs> is, it, is it N Scott Mamaday or M Scott Mamaday? I can't remember. N. N. Yeah, so. Yeah. He attended uh, an Indian school in Jemez hmm. Pueblo, and he reported seeing the fireballs crawling across the land. So I don't know, maybe cool animal eyes. Oh, there actually is a green. There was a fireball monitoring place. It was a neutrino observation place. I wrote an article about the green fireballs of central New Mexico once. What? And there are these steel doors on one side of. Uh, the ski resort area where there was this like 1940s neutrino monitoring station. You know, they're like the invisible particles that pass through. Yeah, everything some constantly. kind of subatomic particle. Yeah. And uh, and there was an observatory there, and that observatory is central to a lot of the green fireball stories. Up That's there. at La Madera. Yeah. What? But also, okay. Placidas had those stories, so it's, it might just be the whole. Oh my god. Region. It We're could... getting to like Twin Peaks X Files territory awesome. now. We got to do a, a the ski very area different sort of podcast. Is maybe. not what it seems. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> Tangents aside. Well, well, everything is going to sound less cool compared we, to the neutrino monitoring We've always station. been digressive on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like I was going to tell the really cool fact that yeah. the early rope pulls they used uh, were powered by automobile engines. But oh. now all I can think about are neutrino oh, fireballs. Well, that stuff's weird too. Yeah, that kind of um yeah yeah that the rope pull stuff's crazy that like those, that... those early photos right they're like basically like they're holding yeah the, he's just you, holding it hold thing. on <laughs> he's holding it and i've actually used a rope pull huh. at uh at uh, santa fe hmm. scary i have no idea if it's still huh. there but in the in the night in yeah, the 80s or 90s yeah a long time where ago. you just like hold on to yeah. the rope and that's cool um huh. But I just love the I, I love the early skiing days of where it's just dudes yeah. and 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 women as yeah. as well trudging out to places right. and like just going down a little ways on that their skis cool. that they may have hewed out of fur logs themselves. Yeah. I suppose the surfing and like skateboarding scenes have had similar yeah. evolutions and stuff like that. Just people just want to do this thing and right. And, and that's going to be the story hmm. here, just like those things where it's the increasing commercialization. Um, Crazy. They were really lucky in the early years. In the 30s, huh. they had so much snow in Sandia. Oh, I bet. Oh, my god. They were like, this is great. This is never going to end. This is going to be a super profitable venture. Wow. Um, the CCC got involved uh, with uh, La Madera Scaria, huh. started building lodge houses Oh, yeah. Camp Apeydan. Yeah. Made huh. some more uh, ski trails, which still exist today. Up cool. There. Huh. That's neat to hear. And then... Huh. As uh, like 1938, 1939 rolled around, World War II is yeah. looming, right? The threat from, from Germany. An interesting thing happens, hmm. which honestly, this is one of my favorite stories. I've told it before on, hmm. uh, on the podcast I used to do with Courtney. But there was a guy with the, uh, with the army who was like, oh, crap. If the Germans invade in winter... We're screwed because they all know how to ski. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna use their skiing knowledge to to like just mow over. So he formed what was called the National Ski Patrol, Whoa. which was devoted towards a homeland defense huh. of, of snowy areas. And all these people who were involved in the early skiing scene, like um, uh, let's see, Ernie Blake of uh, Taos huh. and uh, Bob Nordhaus, they all they all get involved with the uh, the National Ski Patrol, where they're teaching people to ski, and they're um, they're signed up um, to like go and you know help if the Germans invade. I don't know <laughs> uh, Vermont in in December. That's crazy. <laughs> Whatever. Ski Patrol. Obviously, the Germans never did. But when World War II actually. Huh. Uh, when the U.S. got involved in World War II, yeah. for real, um, they the uh, the military powers like looked at, oh, we've got these guys who all know how to ski and have mm. some basic military training. Yeah. Um, what if we used them to like fight battles in in the Italian Alps? Oh my gosh! 
And so they formed the 10th Mountain Division. And what? Bob Nordhaus was part of this. It um, actually went somewhere? That's great. Oh, my God. It totally went somewhere. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So Bob Nordhaus was part of that. So he got sent out to the, I think it's called the Apennine Mountains huh. in Italy. Huh. Um, and if you read about these guys... Uh, I am not a military fetishist. Right, I do right. not like, yeah, yeah. Get you know, I'm not an ura kind of guy. Yeah. But you read about the 10th Mountain Division fighting these running battles with the yeah. with the German Nazis in the Italian Alps. It's oh like, it's amazing. And Whoa. you're just like, these guys were serious badasses. It should be a Wes Anderson movie or something. That's, that sounds <laughs> really interesting. Uh, they come back from World War II, 1945 or so. Hmm. And they love skiing. And so Nordhaus, of course, you know, comes back and like he decides that it's time to really build up La Madera. Um, Other people came back from uh, from there, started the Vail, Colorado uh, ski resort. Like basically, if you. Yeah. Yeah. This is when skiing. These guys were like skiing is our life now. Like we've. We've killed people on skis, so (laughs) this is just who we are. Um, So he came back after World War II, and he bought the land around uh, La Madera Ski Area, Mm. or the assets, or whatever Mm. you call it, for uh, $2,500. And that's when he really began like clearing the trails in earnest. Um, The thing he did that launched it as... uh, you know, into the big time, they mm-hmm. said in the, the newspapers, was he installed a T-bar lift. And I mm-hmm. wonder if this is the, the picture that you saw. This was, you literally hold on to this, like, chunk of metal, like a T-bar, mm-hmm. that's attached to a rope from above. Huh. And that hauls you hauls you up. But you don't hold on to it, I guess. Huh. It, it scoops you up from behind. Weird. Huh. Um, it was the longest one in the country. It was 4,200 feet. Huh. And it carried 200 skiers an hour up the mountain. Amazing. Cost him $40,000 in 1946 The longest money. one in the country was at Sandia. That's really yeah, wild. Yeah, at Little that Sandia. time. Huh. Um, he also created an ice skating rink at huh. the ski area. Huh. Uh, huh. However, Tree Spring was not able to fill it. Huh. So he had like a train of Jeeps carrying 300-gallon water tanks to oh, fill wow. it up. Oh, wow. It only lasted one year. Huh. Then in the 1940s, uh, the late 1940s, so like, I don't know, 48 or something like that, all that wonderful snowy weather that they'd been having since the 30s, is just gone. Hmm. It just stopped snowing. Hmm. Like they they went from like the winter of your uh, your childhood right. Christmases that you always imagined right. to, uh, well, what it looks like it up bad. on Sandia right now. Yeah. Which is like there's not much snow for right. skiing on. Right. I don't think Sandia ski area is open right now at all. And when they are lately, it seems like they're making it with those machines. You yeah, know? yeah, mm-hmm. they pretty much have to. Yeah. In fact, in uh, in like 1948, um, it became La Madera became the site of the first New Mexico attempt at man-made huh. snow. Uh, Steve Reynolds, who was an engineer with New Mexico's School of Mining and Technology, came up with a plan to dump six cartons of dry ice pellets along the crest of the mountains from an airplane. Huh. Seems okay. I don't know what a I don't know what a carton of dry ice pellets yeah. equals in Seems terms of a mound of dry ice yet. pellets. Uh, results were inconclusive. Huh. Which is I don't why know, they maybe it snowed or something. A little, I saw something. <laughs> Yeah, it, literally. They were mm. like, well, there was mm. like a light snowfall. Oh, really? <laughs> huh. So weather continued to be huh. a problem, and then suddenly La Madera, uh, La Madera Ski Area was not making any money again. Wow. Um, and they were operating at a loss. So Nordhaus, as the uh, the president of the company, uh, sold the ski area to Albuquerque in 1949. Mm. Um and when they, when I say sold, I think he might have just given it to them. Interesting. Yeah, like I'm not I'm not sure. I huh. think he I think no. I'm sorry. He did not. I'm getting a, a little confused here. He sold it huh. for sure huh. for like five thousand dollars. Okay. Everybody was all for it in the Albuquerque City Commission except Clyde Tingley, who thought it was a a terrible idea. Interesting. Putting boards on your feet and going down a mountain that sounds like crazy talk. <laughs> But uh, things were really bad 
through the early 50s as well, and it continued operating at a loss. And in 1951, uh, the city, at the uh, urging of Clyde Tingley, returned the ski area to Nordhaus for free. What? So the city uh, lost a significant amount of money uh, on the venture. So Nordhaus now had it. He'd like sold it once and then had it returned to him for hmm. free. So he'd been making a profit. It started to snow a little bit more. He was At this time, he was also the president of the Ilfeld Company, hmm. which began a transition that was going to have a big impact on um, the eastern part of Albuquerque. They became Alvarado Realty. Hmm. At first, they were content to build uh, shopping centers. Hmm. So I wanted to leave Nordhaus for a moment here. Hmm. And now we're going to go to Ben Abruzzo. Okay. Familiar last name from the Balloon Fiesta Museum, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Abruzzo uh, yeah. Balloon Museum. Yeah. Um, so he kind of he's the one who's going to bring the ski area into the modern era. Hmm. He's born in Rockford, Illinois, on June 9th, nineteen thirty. He's the son of Italian immigrants. Graduated from the University of Illinois in nineteen fifty-two. He was in ROTC, and as part of his yeah. military obligation, he wound up uh, being pulled into the Air Force, and transferred to Kirtland Air Force Base. Mm. He's discharged from the Air Force in 1954. He became partners with this guy that he knew from his hometown of Rockford, Illinois, mm. uh, Frank Allen Alonghi, mm. if I'm saying that right. And um, they go in on a used car lot at Richmond Auto Sales at the corner of San Pedro and Central. Okay. Huh. So you can go. That's still a familiar name, yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. go visit there. Um, but it failed. Then he began speculating on uranium claims, hmm. which of course was all the rage in 1954 because nuclear bombs were the yeah. heart and soul of oh, yeah. New Mexico at the time. Right, and the government had opened up uh, u- uranium. Uh, they were they were paying uranium from anybody, basically. So people yeah. were driving out into every part of the Four Corners states and scraping things up, probably Nevada, too. If you look in the back of like comic books and things yeah. from that time, there are advertisements for, like, learn how to speculate for uranium. Oh, my gosh. Um, no side effects at all. <laughs> but he wound up losing a lot of money that way, too. He was not a good uranium huh. speculator. So he wound up working at uh, Sandita National Laboratory as an engineer, but he hated that. Hmm. But what he loved was skiing. Hmm. So he became part of uh, the La Madera uh, ski scene. Hmm. And at this point in the 50s, so this is, what did I say, 1954 when he came back? Skiing got amazing Hmm. at Sandia. Oh, interesting. Like, blissfully amazing huh. just just wonderful so he was a huge part of the ski scene there and he wound up ingratiating himself with uh with club members hmm. and he hated his job at sandia so <laughs> he wound up working for the ski area huh. uh climbing the ladder until he became manager in 1957 this is a part of the story that i i'm not sure like this this uh it's, it's hard to read exactly well, what is going on here. But hmm. according to this book by Salman, in 1958, he pawned his wife's engagement ring and bought half of the ski area. That must have been a hell of a ring. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's uranium. Or, or things were going for cheap. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's amazing. It's solid. Yeah, whatever. What would that even be made of? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Unobtainium. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go. Vibranium. So, okay, so this young go-getter, Ben Abruzzo, comes in, uh, climbs the ladder at Sandia Ski Resort. Then then he gets involved in the real estate Mm. part of the company, the Ilfeld company as Mm. well. And this is where it goes from being, like, quaint. (laughs) This funky little enterprise done by these people who just like to ski a lot. And now it starts to turn into... We're in the 60s, but it feels very 80s to me at this point. Once Ben Abruzzo gets involved. Because what he wants to do, once he gets in charge, is um, he wants to make this like a tourist destination. Not just a place for people from Albuquerque to go ski on the weekends or whatever, but something to draw people in. Hmm. So he's like, okay, step one. We're building a big chairlift. Hmm. Big chairlift. Goes up to the top from the... From the 
cabin at the bottom of Tree Spring all the way up to the crest. Hmm. Number two, we're building a restaurant up at the top. Wow. Yeah, but Ben, they say, hmm. what about like, how, do, how are we going to get stuff up there? Like the road doesn't go to the top of the crest in that area. Hmm. It's like, we're going to haul everything up on the ski lift, on the chairlift. So they haul all their food and all their like drinks and even their laundry and stuff is, is being hauled up on this, on this chairlift. Huh. And then he and uh, uh, Bob Nordhaus, who's still involved, he's kind of the, you know, the, the father figure at this point, he's not as, you know, he's not as energetic about like pursuing his ends, but he's like the dreamer in some right. ways. He's a guiding factor. So he and uh, Ben Abruzzo, they have a meeting. What can we do to make this like even better? Well, we, what Abruzzo wants to do is we want it to be a tourist attraction and we want to connect this ski area more directly with Albuquerque. Hmm. So people don't have to go driving up the other side of the mountains. Uh, Bob Nordhaus had visited Europe fairly recently and thought trams were really cool. They'd been in Switzerland because, you know, he's skiing at all these places and hmm. he'd seen some trams. Well, this is great. So they decide that that's going to be their master plan is they're going to build a tramway that connects the ski area from the west side of Albuquerque or the west side of the mountain, east side of Albuquerque. Mm. Um, and not only that, they're going to build a, there's going to be a restaurant at the bottom. There's going to be a hotel. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so cool. Um, so they start seeking out investments because that's mm. a super expensive proposition. They changed the name from La Madera Ski Area to Sandia Peak Ski hmm. Area at this point in 1963 to make it more um, tied to the mountain itself. Makes sense. And they have $1 million that they managed to raise through selling stocks in their new corporation, but they think they needed another million dollars after that. Hmm. So they look to bankers. Uh, Albuquerque National Bank rejects them. First National Bank also rejects them. Hmm. And finally, the Bank of New Mexico gives them a certain amount of money. And this is when the plan becomes public and it's upsetting people because people are afraid it's hmm. going to deface the mountain, for instance. Uh, so uh, this uh, is kind of the beginning. Yeah. This is that the hippies are starting to emerge at this right. point. Uh, there's uh, the beginning of the national, uh, of the uh, environmental movement. Hmm. And people don't like the idea of there going to be this big tram going up and down the mountain. This seems relevant to our Skyline Drive episode a little bit. Yeah, back to that. totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a lot of their potential investors were just figured it was going to be an absolute immediate loss. Hmm. But they managed to get enough scratch together. They begin construction. Uh, December 18th, 1964 is the groundbreaking. Hmm. And... For the next two years, it was only supposed to take one. For the next two years, they work on uh, the tram itself. Mm. And I got to read you this. So one of the things they do to, uh, you know, nobody's building trams in the United States. So they, they get Switzer, Swiss Swiss engineers to come and uh, help out hmm. um, to direct the project, basically. Adolf Zerbuchen is the chief uh, engineer and um, they asked him to tell him tell them about his experience building trams. I asked him where he had last come from. He said he had just built an ore handling tramway in India. I asked if he had any problems with safety. Did anyone get killed? Oh, yeah, he said. I asked, how many? He said he didn't know. So I asked, well, approximately how many? Maybe 15, he said. So you didn't oh count gosh. them, I asked. He said, no. To which I replied, well, we don't plan to kill anybody here. And Adolf just rolled his eyes. What I finally got out of him was that you never build a tramway where you don't kill somebody. So <laughs> Maybe that was true. I wonder if there were any fatalities. And- there were no oh, fatalities. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. There, there was like, there were some falls. People mm. broke their ribs and mm. uh, sprained their ankles and so forth. Mm. Uh, but no deaths from building the Sandia Tram. Interesting. But as you can imagine, you're building up the west side of the Sandia Mountains. I mean, it's madness. How does that even work? Right? Yeah. Very, very difficult terrain. Whoa. Um, engineers were having vertigo as they were standing up on the towers. 
uh, they wound up, you know, as they got higher, they couldn't get any automobiles up there. Right. So they had a, a helicopter come and mm. bring materials, and it took 5,000 helicopter trips during the construction process. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> but it finally entered service on May 7th, 1966, mm. at which point it was the longest aerial tramway in the world. Wow. Um, it remains to this day the longest aerial tramway in the Americas, hmm. uh, but it was surpassed in 2010 um, as the longest one. So I don't know who won. I, rem- but. I remember billboards that said longest aerial tramway yeah. in the world, I guess before 2010, maybe. I remember those uh, in the 80s. Uh-huh. Yeah. And 90s is what I'm thinking, I guess. Mm. Wild. So yeah. that was the birth of our tramway. Huh. Um, a like- couple of things that happened as a result of the tramway. The Abruzzo-led Alvarado Realty Corporation needed land to put a lower terminal. Hmm. Wound up buying lots of land. Oh my gosh! Uh, in eastern Albuquerque, which is basically Sandia Heights today. I was going to say Sandia yeah. Heights. Wow! Huh. Made them extremely rich. Wow! Um, the lower terminal, which still stands, it's pretty much exactly the same as it was hmm. what was uh, finally built. Um, it once held a museum. Huh. The uh, the it it was like a kind of a reading about it. It sounded like just like this random assortment of stuff that they'd bought from a liquidated museum in Moriarty, New Mexico. <laughs> I'll read sixty six stuff. Yeah, it was described as a bunch of carriages, some old guns, an, and an old slot machine. <laughs> <laughs> Best museum I've ever been to. Uh, <laughs> but it lasted until nineteen seventy four, uh, at which point it was closed and replaced by uh, by a restaurant, the Firehouse Restaurant. Oh, and I remember the Firehouse. It's a restaurant to this day. Didn't Ben Radford used to work there? He was like the head maitre d' there or something. I remember him. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't but, know that story. Yeah. Um, the firehouse. Yeah, I remember that, I remember that place. Uh, like that's where like State Road 533 meets Tramway right around there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah right there. Uh, um, wow. Interesting stuff, man. I, lo- it, I mean, I don't know. This podcast just underscores for me that there's no boring history. It's like <laughs> you ultimately get into it and it's just like all kind of interesting. Well, I'm not yeah. bored. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I've been talking like, the whole time. But. <laughs> it's great, man. Good research on this. Really interesting. And that brings us to yeah. our accident. Oh, yeah, yeah. 1973. Let me circle back. Um, so June 13th, 1973. My mother was working in the Summit House restaurant at the mm. top in the old octagonal building, the old Redwood building, which mm. is gone now. Mm. It's kind of a bummer. I feel like I can picture this, though. When, yeah. when was it taken down? Like, Two years ago or oh, five okay. years ago, right, yeah. really recently. That's gone now? It's gone. Oh. They've completely tore it down. Wow. Um, so on June 13th, 1973, a two cars full of people were coming down in a thunderstorm. Hmm. And it's the wind was blowing like mad and lightning was striking all over the place. And what happened was this combination of factors tripped the safety uh, the safety stop for the tram. Hmm. So it stopped, but it stopped super abruptly. It was like an immediate breaking. And it wound up slipping off the, uh, the cable a nightmare. little bit. Let me nightmare. see if I can. Oh, a total nightmare. That's so scary. I mean, it is uh, so high up. That, that deepest part where you go over that widest canyon, like, oh, yeah. I, I, I challenge anyone to not get, you know, Right, absolutely. Yeah, so here is, let's see if I can. Okay, so the orde- this is uh, Albuquerque Journal, June 15th, 1973, two days afterward. The ordeal be- began at 5.58 p.m. Wednesday when both cars on the 2.7-mile-long tramway were halted because of lightning and high winds during a thunderstorm. The haul cable slipped from position because of a gust of wind at the same time the cars were stopped. And this is disputed later on where they said it was because the cars stopped that, hmm. that this cable slipped. The car containing the nine persons, so one of them contained nine persons, was returning to the base terminal when it stopped only 1,800 feet away from the bottom. The, the car containing 32 persons was headed for the Summit House restaurant when it stopped 1,800 feet away from the loading platform at Sandia Crest. And it was suspended 650 feet in the air. So they were stuck for a super long time. So they were able to get these uh, 
the nine folks um, at the bottom, huh. they were able to get down once the windstorm stopped, but they were there for like 14 hours, oh my God. Wow. Um, including a three-month-old baby oh, was on that, board. Oh, that's a bad situation. <laughs> that's bad. Well, that's the same as this last time, though, with the two cars, though. That, yeah. That, that, yeah. I guess same. that would be every time. Well, huh? right, exactly, uh, yeah. because you have one coming down at the huh. same time the other one's going. Huh. It's called a jig back, so... Huh. There's always they're always kind of moving in synchronicity. Hmm. It's not possible for Jig one back. to go faster or slower. They are both moving hmm. at the same speed, one going up, one going down, um, which is great until one has to suddenly stop. Right. So they were able to get them down by using a uh, what's called a bosun seat. Hmm. Basically, they got a cable up there and they lowered folks down on the chair. You know, the next day. I mean, I have always wanted to ride on top of it, like the employees yes. <laughs> do sometimes. That looks amazing, but like this whole chair outside of the box thing, I don't know. Right, like, right, uh, yeah, whoa. definitely. Um, and but the thirty-one folks up at the top were too far away from the ground, hmm. six hundred and fifty feet above the ground, hmm. and from any um, any towers. So what they had to do was they had to get a big army helicopter to go out there and repair the cable system and then haul it manually up, like not with the big machine, but they had some kind of, they had to like inch it forward basically. So just imagine those poor folks, 31 of them stuck, you know, all night long, first of all, and then just hauled up incrementally the rest of the way, hoping that they don't. Wow. you know fall or whatever amazing however this is this is the best article about the event here okay. um dancing joking and good-natured ribbing kept spirits high among eight texans rescued thursday after spending more than 18 hours stranded in sandia Pake tramways cable car so apparently the texans had a good time That's good. with those 31 folks but it's just uh there's there's some great quotes in here um I was petrified until I got out, Mrs. Williams said, of the approximately 45-second ride dangling at the end of the line. All that worries for was for nothing. It was a great ride. The best trip I ever made. Oh, my God. It probably would be fun. I was, I was on, like, a little cable car. Like, it was a – like a, I'm, I, I have a hard time even describing this, but it was, like, a little transitional stop between subway stops in Boston. Like, oh. they had a – just it was a weird little – leg of the subway system there where you had to like get in this little shuttle car that was oh. on a track and go between huh. things but it broke down and so we all had to walk for like two miles and i became like pals with those people like we were all like such friends by the end of it because we yeah. went through this like little adventure you know it, even <laughs> though it was so minor it took like an hour and a half or something but um but uh like i i, I can imagine that there would be like a fun some camaraderie of, like, yeah of, of that sort of thing i mean for a while yeah. i bet um yeah. I bet after like 10 hours, you're, you're oh, pretty yeah. damn sick of it all. It becomes uh, <laughs> like a depressing play where you've all betrayed each other twice. <laughs> Notably, like, um, in the 1973 accident, huh. there were no bathrooms on board, uh, so they had to improvise in various ways. Yikes. In the most recent version, apparently at some point they installed a little toilet on the tram just for emergency situations. Whoa. So they do have a, a little bathroom. Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. And so... Um, what was your family's connection with? with the- uh, my mother was working at the restaurant at okay. the top, so she was stranded for the night because huh. that's how people got up and down uh, from Albuquerque at that time. But she wasn't in the. She car, was not still. in the car, uh, so that still. Uh, st- you yeah. know, it's more like it's the difference between stranded adjacent <laughs> being stuck on the airplane and stuck in the yeah. airport. You know, it's like yeah, uh, I'm sure it was really annoying, and there was a lot of talking about yeah. it. You know, gathering around the. <laughs> tvs to see what's going on crazy but uh yeah obviously she was not in in mortal danger that's cool though you got that she i think she got hauled down by jeep like they managed they managed there's like some old road that goes all the way to the top now but it's like not used most of the time crazy that 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 the road didn't go all the way to the top because there was this uh this guy Skinner was his last name, uh-huh. the San Antonio Lumber King, and he plowed a road up to the top of the mountain. I thought. Well, I uh, think there were roads, but before... not just not there. Yeah, and then, yeah, huh? That's interesting. And then, and then you can see photos from like the late 1800s, early 1900s of people going on wagon trips up to the top there. Yeah, and, and I mean, there definitely were roads, yeah. but not they to where terrible. the ski area was. Right. CCC roads, of yeah. course. Yeah, I mean, there's still not like a paved road to yeah. the top of the ski area. Huh. 
Oh, There's like a trails. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, I think they I can get up saying. with a yeah. Jeep or something. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking like the antenna farm more. Yeah. 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 I think, huh. I think that was, that was yeah. existing at that time. Hmm. I mean, I read that to get the water to the restaurant for a long time, they hauled it all up via tram. They hauled hmm. everything up by a tram, wow. including every single tram had a 720 gallon tank huh. that it was built, bringing up with it. Just, just to, just so people could have their, uh, their yeah. nighttime views. Crazy. Anyway, wow, what a what a place we have like next to us. The, the yeah. tram is great for as a reminder of that too. Right. Just totally a, true. Yeah, that like we're not some. Yeah, we've got we got some interesting things here in this city. We do indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's cool. I've got some like random facts at the end here. All right. Which I think is good. Random tram facts. So Bob Nordhaus, his day job was being uh, he was an attorney. Hmm. And he wound up arguing uh, several cases before the Supreme Court hmm. advocating for tribal rights over uh, taxing, um, like mining wow. that's going on, mineral extraction and that kind Bob. of thing. That's great. I think he was the legal counsel for Laguna Tribe for a while. Huh. Ben Abruzzo, uh, after he was running the ski area for a long time, he then became interested in hot air ballooning. <laughs> He attempted to fly from the U.S. to Europe, uh, wound up crashing in Iceland. That's the Double Eagle 2 expedition, is that That was Double Eagle 2. But then he successfully completed the trip in 1978, which was the first crossing of the Atlantic by manned balloon. And in 1981, he became the first to successfully cross the Pacific. Okay, that guy's pretty interesting. He is. You got to give that to him. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Unfortunately, he died in... 1985 uh he was flying a twin engine cessna from albuquerque's coronado airport he was taking his wife and four of her friends to uh aspen to ski Hmm. um they wound up having like bad weather or something they Hmm. they had to turn around to come back to coronado and unfortunately they wound up crashing in a field east of i-25 near paseo del norte and all of them died Oh wow! That's, yeah. Okay, dark ending to that story. Yeah, but. pretty sad. But that's uh, they named. That's why they named the balloon museum after uh, him, and yeah, that's kind of a big part of his legacy. Someone needs a biopic, man. That's that's interesting. Obviously, climate change has hit the hit the ski area pretty hard. Pretty like, bad. I don't even know how many average yeah. days they are open a year, but they're not open now. Now they're talking about putting in an alpine slide, which yeah. while I hate that for its environmental impact, like. Those are fun. Those are yeah. Those I don't. Really... I've never been on one. I, I used to live by Purgatory in which yeah. is Durango Ski Area. Also, I think in uh, Bayfield, Colorado, and they had right. one. We got hurt on it so bad sometimes. I mean, they're really. It's not like a roller coaster, right? Like, no, it's, it's not... like imagine like a a, a sluice, like a, just a track, yeah. like not much wider than a human right. width, you know. And um, and uh, you are on these little wheeled carts. Yeah. Uh, Kind of like bobsleds with wheels, and you go just whipping down the mountain, down these concrete yeah. or smooth tracks. Yeah. And uh, if some, I mean, I remember hitting some corners and just flying out. It's like being in a car wreck. <laughs> Jeez. And, uh, you know, but yeah. but uh, but um, you know, they're they're fun, but like, yeah, uh, you know, environmentally suspect. Yeah. Skyline Drive, you know, that, that yeah. all over again. Like, how, what's going to have to change for this? But I mean, I, I suppose people are just trying to adapt to. It's still listed on their website as something that they're planning uh, to do. Um, they just did a big re hmm. remodel, rebuilding, I guess, because they tore hmm. the old building down. They rebuilt wow. the restaurant at the top. It's got a new name now. It's right? called Ten Three. Right. I was considering going up, and then hmm. there's an accident on the tram. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I think well, it's pretty expensive too. But you know, I've been hearing about tram stuff for the years, even though big breaks are rare i've heard of several hours here and there over the years yeah you know being diff- stuck. different incidents and stuff yeah. little gets a paragraph in the paper or something right right you know i don't but, think uh, there's i don't think there's been any deaths that hmm. i couldn't find any i went looking of course yeah um other than that yeah that that poor guy who fell off in uh moon track of the moon oh, yeah that's an addendum so okay so remember i said first national bank uh refused to fund the tram um but on the day of its opening in the big albuquerque journal article about hmm. the tram opening they took out an ad 
like a quarter page or something. Hmm. And it said, congratulations to the tram, you know, for opening. Um, but what, uh, what really caught my eye was that, um, pictured on this ad, uh, were various symbols of like progress, you know, there was like a satellite and one of them was a monorail, like a suspended monorail. Okay. I saw you Facebook. Yeah. And I was like, well, what the, that's interesting. Was there ever any plan of making an Albuquerque monorail? And it's been kicked around. turns out, uh, there've been several, um, folks over the years, including at one point, the New Mexico highway department Mm. suggested a monorail crossing the, uh, the river over where the, uh, Paseo bridges. Is it the Paseo bridge? One of those Northern bridges. Okay. So they suggested having a, uh, a, a monorail that would wow. take people from that part huh. of town into our town. And then one huh. guy in 19, I think it's like 1963 or so, a UNM professor of architecture. He's like, this is a really interesting idea I have. We should build a monorail that just goes up and down central and we should make central a pedestrian only thoroughfare oh, that'd be so great yeah man i would love that let's let's start thinking like that that's a great idea you know if you remember in our skyline drive episode also there was also talk in the 60s of doing a second tram up south sandia peak that never materialized uh, no i don't remember that which would be interesting because that's a way obscure but yeah. I, I'm, it's probably good they don't do that that's a pretty important wildlife area yeah it's all totally. i mean we but, got one tram yeah yeah i don't know i don't feel like i need to uh, more trams yeah yeah <laughs> For one thing, you, you can't really ski up unless there they're free the or something and everyone can ride so them that would expensive. be cool expensive i mean it is that that one deepest canyon that like has imprinted on my being because it's just yeah. you're like like no one is supposed to be there no human right. is supposed to be balanced a thousand feet up between no, two giant mountain you're peaks. really not <laughs> <laughs> like this has never happened before like a couple hundred years ago at least you know? oh my god you know uh probably not even that recent but but um <laughs> Or that long ago, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, well, it's a great topic. I love those mountains. I can't, you know, they're often like the best part of a day. You know, you're standing in oh, just yeah. some parking lot of a grocery store, and you look no, up, and you're no. like, "What a great thing to have here in the city." Always so good to go up there. It yeah. just feels so refreshing. Totally. It's like you you remember it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I used to go up there all the time. Well, in part because I lived up there, but yeah, like my you know sense. my kids only go up there every so often. Like they have like specific memories now about like being at the top of the right, the mountains. Right. And, like, oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, it really is uh, an incredible area, and yeah, it's like it's such a reset to get up there and just be in the fresh air. Like oh, I've never regretted been, going up. No kidding. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> I sometimes wish I could stay longer, you know, like, yeah. like that, that's, how, that's what I regret not being able to stay longer. Right. Yeah. And you know, every time we, uh, like go West or something, like we drive out towards grants or if we go to, um, like the grand Canyon or something, mm. there's that moment where you see the Sandias oh, in yeah. the distance. Oh yeah. Like, oh. True. I pitched an article to a Santa Fe magazine once about the Sandias as regarded from Santa Fe, because I do think it's interesting to think about things in different contexts yeah. and from different distances and stuff, but they turned it down. Yeah. You know, I, I it's think this it's... this big purplish lump yeah. in the distance. But that's cool. I that's, like it. Yeah. yeah I'm, not, like, I'm not denigrating it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, the Sandias, yeah, it, it does invite stories. It's like a beautiful range. It feels... I know they're not the biggest mountains in the world, but they, the rise above the city yeah. is dramatic. Prominence, I yeah. think they call that. It, I feel like I'm in dialogue with the Sandias sometimes, huh. like when I'm walking up a yeah. trail or something. Yeah. Like it, it feels like you're yeah. you're dealing with something, it's an true. entity. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's like this presence in our lives, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. My book is literally, that I've been working on for 12 years, is Shadows of Clouds on the Mountains. Yeah. It's just from driving along the foothills, watching that beautiful sight. Right. You know, and... and uh, that's, I grab that as a metaphor for like the stories of our lives that ephemeral and fleeting, but mm. beautiful. But, but, um, yeah, no, I'm so like grateful for those mountains. Bob Julian has always said, like, if we didn't have the Sandias, we'd be Lubbock. Thank you for tuning into another episode of city on the edge. If you enjoyed our show, tell your friends like, and share our stuff on social media and check out our YouTube channel by searching for city on the edge, Albuquerque. This episode has been made possible by our supporters on Patreon aka the coolest people on the planet to join them in their support of our show and get exclusive access to content t-shirts and swag go to patreon.com slash city on the edge and sign up for one of the tiers starting as low as one dollar a month 
This has been a City on the Edge production. It's not to be.